This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Smart Money Podcast, a series of financial tips for different life stages. Get your money right for your life. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery. I am Maya Fisher-French, and each week we chat to a money expert or experts to find the answers to those pressing financial questions. Okay, so say you've just tied the knot and you're now going to be building your life together. How do you approach money when one becomes two and maybe later three? To help us guide through what is undoubtedly one of the greatest challenges in a marriage, we have financial advisor Onalena Desipi and Mavis Uriki, an international human behavior specialist and author of Managing Emotions for Financial Freedom. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for having us. Onalena, I want to start with you as an advisor. Um, you often, I'm sure, see young couples. They're either about to get married or newly married. And what are some of the questions and issues that come up at that stage? Interesting question. I find that a lot of young people that are about to wed usually want to know what is happening with each other's finances, which okay. is actually very interesting. That's good. <laughs> because when you compare that to the older generation, I doubt they asked enough questions. Enough questions. Yes. So it's about how many assets, how many liabilities Mm. does one have? Mm. And it's also about how to get married. Um, Do we get married in community of property? Do we get married in antinatural contract? And if so, is it going to be with or without accrual? And then the questions that arise is who's supposed to manage the household? Who's going to be the financial person in the household? So, Annalena, I just want to stop you there because I think you made a really interesting point about this marriage contract. Um, I come across a lot of people, even still now, young people who don't understand the consequences of community of property and especially when it relates to debt. Maybe you just want to expand a little bit on that. You are very right, Maya. Um, a lot of people still don't understand what community of property entails. Um, and that's why it's important for them to then sit down and speak to a financial planner or their legal person. I mean, so I mean, the, the problem, of course, is that um, if you were married in community of property, it's you inherit debt. So I didn't actually realize this. I always knew that community of property meant that you're liable for your partner's debt. So say your partner goes off and takes out a personal loan, you're liable for that equally and not only half, but the full amount. But you're actually liable for debt that they've accrued before the marriage. So that's where this whole asset and liability discussion is so important. Absolutely. So being married in community of property is basically joining both assets and liabilities and splitting them equally. So it's debt acquired prior to being married, uh, to be married and during marriage. So it's very important for people to then break down um, all their assets, all their liabilities and be honest. Be honest with each other. Because I think that that's the hardest part. I remember once um, hearing that they did a survey and they said, um, Would you be prepared to, which would you be more prepared to do? Have a picture of yourself naked on Facebook or a picture of your finances on Facebook? The truth. (laughs) And people said they'd rather be naked. Um, And obviously, clearly, married, newly married weeds would rather be naked than looking at each other's finances. So I think that's very important. And then another very interesting point I think you made just before we came on air was you were saying, You know, Maya, people go and see a marriage counselor. Uh, before they get married, but not a financial advisor. And how important is that? Very, very important. Um, A marriage counselor is equally important as a financial planner because by seeing a financial planner prior to being married, 
we get to discuss things that chances are they wouldn't have been discussed in the first place if you had just dived into marriage. Now, a financial advisor is, for example, able to see what the current situation is and where both parties are planning to go, so what their objectives are, and then come in and help the couple plan for their finances better. So without seeing a financial planner prior to being married, it becomes it becomes a high risk. <laughs> it becomes a high risk, and finances can actually make or break families sometimes. Mm. And Mavis, how do you bring in perhaps the psychological side of it? How do you have that conversation? You're now getting you engaged, and one of you wants to actually go see the financial advisor and talk about money. How do you bring that up? I think it's actually very interesting because we don't come from backgrounds where our parents talked about money. So there's a lot of shame that is tied to, you know, just having a conversation about money, truly just being honest about where you are financially. Um, so people, because of that shame or perhaps some guilty of some financial decisions you made before you met your partner prevents them from being honest or even wanting to have the discussion. So people shy away from having that discussion. And I think another trend that I noticed is that people are so uh, we, we're born with the need to belong and people are so afraid of being rejected and because money is almost always tied to you know um, you know if someone doesn't want to talk about money then you fear being rejected so you mm. avoid the conversation oh. totally and completely mm. so that's what happens because someone has shame and guilty they don't want to talk about money you want to talk about it and then because they refuse you feel that if you continue having that conversation or continue wanting to have the conversation it might actually lead you it might lead to you being rejected by your potential partner so people end up avoiding that conversation totally and completely which is i think you know we need to go back and say how do we manage our emotions around you know the money how do we manage our emotions around the man conversation how do we have a decent man conversation without someone throwing tantrums or without someone feeling ashamed is there a way of phrasing the question and you know is there a way of saying you know what, I want us to build a, a wonderful future together. Let's start by being honest about our finances and where we are so we can build this future. How do you phrase it so it doesn't sound accusing? Because, I mean, imagine if you walk into the marriage and you've got all the assets, you know, and the other's got all the debts. <laughs> Look, I think you, you, uh, you I, I don't know how you, uh, how you can phrase it in a way that that's not, it, it, for me, I think from where I come from, I think this is a personality issue. I'm a frank person. Let's talk about it. Okay, we need to talk about it because it's important for our relationship. It's important for our children because now we are getting into this marriage where we want to build a family together and finances are going to be the backbone of how we're going to build that family together. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a conversation in terms of, you know, how much are you bringing in? Where are you? In fact, I think this conversation must happen before people even tie the knot, mm. before you even engage. This mm. is the same way you ask someone about, yeah, so where would you like to go for a holiday? How many children would you like to have? You also want to ask them, so how much financial legacy? How much, what is your financial freedom number? How do you see yourself financially five years from now? Mm, absolutely. And I mean, we're busy discussing this, but I'm coming to my mind is, you know, I spoke about one partner perhaps bringing in more assets than the other. Mm. But Annalena, what happens when you meet with this, this newlyweds and one of them earns a lot more than the other? How do they go about building that, that budget, uh, that household budget? Um, what's interesting is uh, finding out exactly what each other's responsibilities will be. Mm. 
I think people need to have that conversation mm. because if I know my partner earns more than I do, um, and I know I want to build a life with it, with my partner, I must be open enough to speak about what responsibilities I will carry going forward. Mm. And oftentimes that doesn't happen, mm. you know, mm. and once again, like I said before, it's important to then speak to an advisor that let there be a, a third person or a third party that is going to intervene and help the two parties that are getting married um, decipher all these financial uh, problems that could arise in the future. And one of them is is actually about um, how do you how do you put the money together on a monthly basis? And, and we were discussing also how a joint account can actually be quite dangerous. So, so in one area, you want to perhaps have a pool of money that the household expenses are paid from, but there's also legal issues to having a, a joint account. Joint accounts. Um, that's an interesting topic, really. Um, because with joint accounts, my main concern is what happens if the other party passes away? Because there's always a, there has to be one principal bank account holder, isn't it? It's not in South Africa. It's not equal. There's always yeah. a principal holder with a second, with a secondary. With a secondary. Yes. So my advice usually to couples is let each one have their individual accounts. And if they would like, if they insist, then rather have a joint account just to run the household. Hmm. Because what's important is, keeping afloat even when um, when the other party has passed on. Because mm. remember, when one, pa- when one party passes away, especially if it's the primary um, account holder, then the, the account is frozen. What's going to happen to the cash flow of that family? Mm. How mm. are they going to run the household? So for me, when it comes to um, joint bank accounts, Hmm. <laughs> Not so much. And the other one that's also very interesting is that sometimes you find that one partner builds up all the credit record in their name. So they tend to do the, the house is born in their name or the car. Um, I actually had an experience recently. Um, it was a friend of my mom's and she was elderly and her husband had passed away. Uh, about a year before and her credit card came up for renewal and the bank turned down her for a new credit card and she thought they turned her down because of her age. I followed up and the bank said, no, she doesn't have a credit record. So she was sitting in her late 70s and she'd never, ever developed a credit record. It had all been in her husband's name. Yeah. So, I mean, that's also very important. Again, we don't think about these things. We think everything's together, mm-hmm. but actually the banks and the financial institutions look at it differently. Definitely. And Mavis, I wanted to get onto this topic about what what do you do if one of you is a spender and one of you is a saver? This can cause a lot of friction. Um, how, how do you have that conversation? I think, yeah, it, it does cause a lot of friction. But I think the important thing is for you as a family to decide what is our financial vision and how much is each person going to contribute towards the financial vision. It doesn't automatically happen. Okay, so to bring your ideas about finances together once you get married is not an automatic thing. It's a journey in itself. So you'll have conversations, you'll have disagreements, you go and see a financial advisor. So you do all these things to try and get your alignment in terms of a financial vision as a couple. But now the important thing is, for me, what's important is your values as a spouse is not necessarily your spouse's values. Okay, so if I value doing my hair and my nails and you think that's spending or I like buying a lot of shoes, okay, it's a conversation we need to have to say, okay, do I really need to continue having the shoes? But if it is what really makes me happy. 
And you can afford it. And I can afford it. And it's in the budget. And it's in the budget. (laughs) I feel that it should not be taken away from me. And I think we spoke about it earlier on to say the perception of value differs from one person Mm. to the other. So what you might see as important to you might not necessarily be important to another person. Okay, so I would spend my money buying books. My husband likes music and he's buying CDs. And I'm thinking, are you serious? <laughs> that, and that's not having judgment. Yes. And, you know, I, I was, I was um, thinking of the story about a reader who wrote into me and, and he said to me, Maya, I'm very concerned because, you know, I'm trying to save money and my wife wants to buy new curtains, but we have curtains. And I'm like, mm, how do I explain to a man that for a woman, having her house looking nice, having when her friends come over, lovely curtains actually matters and don't judge that yeah don't apply that that is a, you know is not okay um and i think that comes to the perceived value and again that's shared vision so you can say you know what it's important to me for us to have new curtains mm. so how do i plan for that in our budget yeah. so and then do you do you find that that's a conversation you're having to navigate sometimes it is it is definitely um <laughs> you know but i i guess what really is important is to have both parties compromise because mm. it all begins with compromise and end of the day because what i perceive to be important as you've rightfully said may not necessarily be important to my partner so if we're able to compromise but before we even reach that level where i'm buying curtains and all of that make sure that the basics are covered mm. you know um i cannot be going to buy this very expensive vehicle yet the children are, are not going to school. Or we don't have a savings plan. Or we don't have a savings We don't have plan. insurance. So yeah. let's, let's yeah. make sure the basics are first covered. Mm. And then after that, it's all about compromise. Mm. And it's all about budgeting. Budgeting properly. Mm. Because I've, ha- I've had clients speak about budgeting. And when you really ask them the question, they will, ask, they will tell you, no, I've budgeted and I've included X, Y, Z. And then my question is, what about your hair? How come you haven't included um, your, the fact that you have to go do your hair? Or that random um, coffee that you buy at the office. You know, if you add all of those up, they really um, add up and they contribute a, um, a significant amount to towards um, your spend. Mm. So it's very, very important to have a detailed budget and at the same time compromise. And I think that's where emotions come in. Very important. I always say to people when we're talking about money, look at your actual spend, which is go and print your statement and Mm. then look at your budget. And Mm. people are always shocked that what they think they're spending money on is actually not what they're spending money on. It's so true. I don't, I've never met anybody whose expectation of their budget um, was, you know, was 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 enhanced or better than what was actually happening. Mm. Generally, people are spending far more than they realize, and mm, far more on stuff they don't value. Mm, true. It's when they sit there think, "Geez, did I really spend money on that? That that wasn't really worth it." Or actually, I can't even remember what I spent. I do have moments like that when I look at my credit card statement. I'm thinking, "What did I spend it on?" And that's generally a signal that um, time to go back and check the value system. And if you're spending on according to your value system. <laughs> Now, um, Elena, you know, I wanted to ask you, historically, women have left money decisions to their husbands. It's one of the legacy issues we have. We hear these horror stories about men running off with secretaries and leaving their wives financially (laughs) destitute. But do you see this changing as women become financially empowered Um, and often marrying later? So women are marrying later. They have their careers. Do you see a big shift in that now? There is a shift, especially with the younger generation, um, because... Now people want to be more in charge. I mean, there's a 
a lot of um, information available out there. People read a lot and people are exposed. So I believe because of that, um, women are becoming more empowered and they're becoming more independent in terms of their finances. Um, and so, so my, my question is, what, what happens if you each have your own financial advisors or should you have your own financial advisors or should you have a joint financial advisor? How do you, you navigate that space? I suppose you'll say that they should all come to you. <laughs> <laughs> they must all come to me. <laughs> so it's important to have one financial advisor purely because the advisor will have an idea of what both parties aim to achieve. So we deal with a common goal here. For example, both parties would like to buy a property in the next mm. five years. As a, an advisor to both of them, I'm able to then remind them on a on a regular basis in terms of investing more, um, cutting off um, debts and so forth. And I feel like if they had separate advisors, we tend to miss the goal. Mm. They, they, will, they will miss the... Potential of working Potential. together yes. yeah, towards that. Perhaps. Yes, mm. because there's a mm. meeting of minds mm. when, um, when they're working with one advisor and mm. we're able to marry the goals um, mm. together. Mm. And one of the big goals is generally you, you've got married and you want to have kids. So when this child's coming along and a parent is going to take some time off to be the main caregiver, that may be cutting back careers, maybe actually taking time out the workforce. How do you as a a family prepare for this and how do you manage those money decisions start to change because now perhaps there's a lower income coming in. So and then how do you advise those young couples to prepare for this really big event? So it's very important that people have real conversations, um, real conversations about what is now going to happen if one party decides to stop work? Um, how will they fund everything else going forward? Because oftentimes people want to Stop. The first thing that people usually do is they stop paying for insurance um, when the income is now lower, you know, and that's the time when the family will need the the, um, the insurance quite a, quite a bit hmm. because if say well, now there's like, a child. I mean, before there's two, now there's three. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now that there's a child, and also um, in the event where um, the say the one that has decided to stop working. If say they pass away, what's going to happen? In, what's going to happen to that family? Because mm. then it means that the one that remains must now hire extra extra help, mm. to, and that is just taking away from that disposable income. Um, so it's very important that people then plan properly um, and also look at the possibilities of the future. Because the one party that has stopped working may decide, I now want to start working again. But it might not be that easy to get the job, you know, and what happens then? Frustrations then build up. And when they build up, we know of marriages that have ended because of um, mm. finances. Mm. And we try to, uh, to then avoid that. So it's very important that the couple um, sit down with a financial planner, plan ahead and ensure that they don't draw down on retirement annuities. They don't draw down on investments because remember that's part of their financial plan. And if they start drawing down now, it affects their financial mm. future. And remember also, people don't want to work forever. At some point, they want to stop working. But Annalena, one of my big concerns, especially for women, because it tends to be the woman who takes the, the back step in her career or takes some time off work, is they do draw down on that pension fund. And they don't realize they've just wiped out their retirement. And they sort of think, oh, well, I'll catch it up or 
I've got my husband's retirement fund. And then, of course, the divorce comes. Not mm. or of course, but <laughs> potentially a divorce comes. And you're left with no retirement savings because you've drawn on. So I think it's a very, very dangerous um, place, to, you know, Can environment to be in. Come in mm. there. So one of my mentors once said, if you do take time off to raise a child, make sure that you're on the payroll of that household. Oh, so okay. as a woman, That's fine. nice, nice. Right? Mm. I, I, because you're still doing work. Mm. So it's not as if you're, you're doing yes. work, you're doing valuable work. So if, if you can't plan as a household to say, okay, yes, I've taken time off and then there's still a salary that needs to be paid towards me because remember, you still have your own values. You still have your things that you love to do and then waiting for it and asking for it might be frustrating and it might actually be, you know, give a negative, you know, um, impact or mm. weight on mm. the marriage. Suddenly which is you're becoming a dependent. Yes, which you suddenly you're be. becoming mm. a dependent. So I think the conversation, as you said, it's very important mm. to say how do we really go forward have we planned for it properly mm. can we even afford to keep the one person who's staying at home on a salary mm. Mm. especially with education costs just to end off i wanted to talk about the wedding because i mean we're talking about newlyweds and that must be one of the best places to stress test your ability to manage money as a couple uh, i think you find out pretty quickly where everyone stands around money i mean Annalena, do you find that i mean have you have you walked through clients through that wedding scenario yes um one of my clients for example um they almost canceled the wedding um purely because of the frustrations that come along with planning for for the big for the big day the woman would want to go all out wants to impress the family wants to impress the friends and everything and not realizing that it is going to affect the their financial affairs mm. and in the end they're left with debt which they now need to finance and it eats away from them investing them catering for the household and so forth. So, yes, that's a really interesting one that you're bringing up. Yeah. And I mean, Mavis, for me, this feels like a lot of emotional stuff. It is emotional stuff. It is emotional debt. But you also you need to understand that when we are being socialized as women, we prepare. I think we had this conversation earlier on to say we prepare for marriage even from a young age. So we've got fairy tale stories in our heads about that big wording, that big event. We don't realize the financial impact. It's a day. It's a couple of hours. And after that, people go home and you remain facing this huge amount of debt you've built just for a couple of hours. And then you start having tension in your own marriage. So very important. I know for a friend who got married, big wedding, very beautiful wedding. The marriage lasted two years. She's still paying off for the debt for that marriage. So it's, 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 it's terrible. And I think for me, it's the lack of financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Nobody educates us these things before we get there. So we're living in our fantasy world with all this, you know, the, the stuff you were talking about earlier on to say you've got this mental rep- uh, uh, representation of what it should look like. Okay, so you want to impress the world. You've got this. You're seeing all these weddings. Oh yeah, if you have been watching television lately, you see Harry and and Meghan's wedding um, recently, the royal wedding. Don't and, try and, and live up to that <laughs> wedding, please, people. <laughs> we'll bankrupt you. <laughs> yeah. So it's those things that people need to get real and realistic, and get to themselves and say, this is where we are. This is what we can afford. And I mean, I look back at my wedding, which was many, many decades, well, many decades, but a long time ago. Yeah. I, I don't think half of those guests 
I even have contact with anymore. No, true. No, and, and I think we need to get real about yeah. that as well. Who are we trying to impress? People yeah. who won't even know in 10 years' time mm. when we're still trying to pay off the debt or build our futures together. True. But I want to say thank you to both of you. You run out of time, but I've had such a wonderful um, discussion. It really is. It's fantastic. So thank you both to Annalena and Mavis for joining us today. And join us for the next episode when we discuss the next major money life change, having a child. You've been listening to Smart Money. Brought to you by Discovery. Get your money right for your life. This is CliffCentral.com.